0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. Re prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. I want to tell you my secret now. I see dead people. Silent Green is people! No, I am the father. Oh. What's in the box? You made it! You blew it up! Damn you! All to hell! Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Spoiler Specials. I'm Sam Adams, the senior editor at Slate, and I am joined by associate editor Marissa Martinelli. Marissa, hello.
1: Hello, Sam. I would prefer you refer to me by my cat's name for this episode. Okay.
0: I will do my best. What is it?
1: Marmaladium.
0: Marmaladium. Okay. I'm not going to say that again, but I've said it once. So, uh, on today's podcast, or rather, podcast, um, we are discussing Cats, the long-awaited slash long-dreaded movie version of Andrew Lloyd Webber's 1981 musical. Marissa, let us start with you. What did you think of Cats?
1: What did I think of Cats? The movie? I thought it was Cats (laughs) in movie form. The problem with evaluating the movie version of Cats is that Cats, the musical, is not very good. Yes. And it is weird in a specific way. And so as a filmmaker, when you're adapting it, you run into the problem of, can it still be Cats if you make it good? And I think this adaptation understands what makes Cats, Cats, and it sticks to it. And in that respect, I enjoyed it very much, but I don't think it's a good movie.
0: I mean, it is difficult to explain, and even having like lived through it and seen Cats on Broadway, um, it is difficult to explain... Why it was the phenomenon that it was, Um, and I I think certainly to anyone who didn't live through it now, it just seems like the most insane thing that this was just this massive, you know, the longest running show in Broadway history. I went through a phase, you know, years ago, I sort of grew up in Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, and then I became a teenager and uh, realized that I wasn't supposed to like him anymore, and I dutifully did not. And then I went through a phase of reappraisal in my 20s and listened to, you know, Evita and Joseph and a bunch of other shows and decided they were, like, really actually, you know, pretty good. And I was right in the first case. But I didn't get around to Cats and did not listen to it again until a few years ago when my daughter sort of prompted me to. And it's still garbage. <laughs> Roy Webber made a bunch of really good shows. And then he just, like, fell off a cliff Right. And wrote this.
1: It's in the bin with Starlight Express as just one of those unsalvageable Musicals that he made, except that it was massively popular. Yes. And I think there are a lot of factors, and Broadway historians have explored the reasons that Cats was so popular. But one of the reasons is that it's easy to understand, no matter who you are. It's really not a hard concept to grasp. They're all cats. Some of them have like a thing, like there's a theater cat, there's a railway cat, and they all sort of introduce themselves. And then one of them goes to heaven, maybe?
0: Yeah, Unclear. The heavy side layer. Um I saw someone on, on Twitter suggest that it's maybe more of a sort of midsummer, like at a stupa uh, thing, <laughs> or actually. Um, they're more of like a Soylent Green thing, I guess, or something. I don't know. Um, I neglected to give my opinion of Cats, um, which I guess is similar to yours. I mean, I do think this movie, it is a, a terrible movie. I should say that up front. It's very bad. Um, but it's sort of fascinatingly bad. It feels like this kind of... You know, absurdly big and yet still impersonal uh, swing for the fences. It's the kind of movie that Hollywood really doesn't make anymore. It's so kind of weird and tone deaf. It feels simultaneously focus grouped within an inch of its life. And like no one ever saw it before the final cut was unveiled uh, earlier this week. Um, It kind of defies all laws of space and time. Good and why, bad, therefore you must see it.
1: Why do you think it feels focus grouped? I feel exactly the opposite. I feel like the filmmakers were very much in their own heads and that this movie could not possibly have been designed to appeal to a mass audience.
0: Uh, but, I mean, pff, uh, yes, I mean that is a fair question. I mean, it, No focus group in their right mind would approve it, but it also doesn't feel like... Maybe Tom Hooper's just a terrible filmmaker, and that's the end of it, but it doesn't feel like... You know, a movie like Jupiter Ascending, which is, you know, also not, uh, certainly not conventionally good, but feels very personal. Like, clearly it's coming, like, right out of these filmmaker souls and onto the screen with no intervention, even when maybe someone should have intervened. This does not feel like someone's id unleashed on the screen. It just feels like a product of a brainstorming session gone awry somehow.
1: Let's get into the weeds.
0: (laughs) Let's get into the weeds. You are our cats expert on this podcast. I'm going to... God
1: help us all.
0: Yeah, I'm going to rely on you slightly to uh, describe, uh, for example, the plot of cats.
1: So the plot of cats is, as I just said, very simply, (laughs) there are a bunch of cats. In the musical, traditionally, they're gathered in a junkyard, and they are waiting for one of the cats, Old Deuteronomy, who is the wise elderly cat. To decide which of them will be allowed to go to the heaviside layer. The heaviside layer is not a physical location as far as we're aware. We know that it's up, up, up and at the end of the show one of the cats is lifted above the stage, so presumably there is some physical aspect, but it's mostly considered a metaphor. And this idea that the cat who was chosen will get to start a new life.
0: It will be like born again into a new life. It's sort of like this cat apotheosis, where they're like taken up into heaven and reborn. But again, with no actual kind of spiritual uh, content
1: at all. And Hooper and his co-writer Lee Hall on the movie actually make it explicitly almost like a talent show, American Idol kind of competition. Where the cats are not just introducing themselves, but... Performing and mugging to try to convince the other cats in Old Deuteronomy that they are the one who deserves this new life with their, you know, talent.
0: Normally, these spoiler specials are sort of structured according to plot. Um, that is a particular challenge here, but we are going to try to simulate um, for you, our, our dedicated listeners, um, what it is like to have this thing beamed straight into your eyeballs. Um, so let us begin by discussing... Uh, what these cats look like. Um, the sort of classic, you know, Broadway look of this is basically just dancers in kind of calico leotards um, with some janky tails uh, dangling off them somewhere. That is not the route they went for the movie. They are employing something that they are calling digital fur technology. Uh, What did you think of the digital fur technology?
1: I will defend the appearance of these cats to my last breath. In July, when they released the first trailer for this movie... Everyone collectively lost their minds at the appearance of the cats. It was such an overreaction. Basically, the actors are wearing what look like leotards, and then they have digitally added fur to that. And the effect is uncanny, but that's cats, man. That's not the fault of the filmmakers. That's kind of just what they look like. The biggest deviations from, I mean, there have been various versions of cats over the years and in different parts of the world. But the biggest trademarks of the costumes in this movie are that the cats have human noses. There's no sort of black spot to indicate a cat nose. And they don't have the kind of weird, spiky, very 80s hair that a lot of the productions retain from the
0: original costume. Yeah. I mean, they look sort of like fugitive members of Drandoran in the original production.
1: <laughs> it's true. And in this case, a lot of them are sleeker. The filmmakers did take people's reactions to the trailer into consideration and they did change the appearance of the cats for the final movie. And I have to admit, they do look better. They soften the fur so they look less like they're wearing fursuits and they have a more human appearance.
0: Yes. It is this weird, uh, I think of it as, as sort of the, like the uncanny pussy that they fall into. <laughs> like it's just this weird, you know, neither fish nor fowl nor cat nor man appearance that they have some sort of secondary sexual characteristics. Um, the women have sort of, you know, visible of still so, slightly lumpy shapes, but that none of them have any genitals. There's a very weird moment where they introduce um, Jenny Antidots, which is the cat played by Rebel Wilson. And she's kind of, you know, licking her nether regions and at first they kind of, you know, block it out. I think her, maybe her hand is in the way or something and if, oh no, we're not going to show you that. And then they cut away and then they cut back and they show it to you and there's still nothing there.
1: They're like Barbie dolls. Yes. It's all smooth down below. Yes. Yeah. Rebel <laughs> Wilson is an extraordinary case because it turns out she's wearing a fur suit over her cat body if you see the trailers with rebel wilson she's sort of this rotund kind of cat because she's playing jenny any dots but then to perform her song she rips off her fur to reveal she is wearing a dress over even more fur a choice that i cannot account for and there's under like, any there's circumstance. like a, she's
0: got like a little like shimmery like vest under there right when she pulls off yeah, her she's, fur coat.
1: she's wearing a fursuit over clothing, over her fur suit.
0: Yes, which seems you know very hot among other things. Just so many questions that arise, like what is this fur coat made of? Um, <laughs> you know, other cats that like—is this like the skin of her enemies that she's more
1: than one way to skin a
0: cat? Yes. Oh boy, all the cat puns fly fast and furious in this. But yes, I mean the moment when she unzips what we've taken to be her fur and starts to peel it off. I mean, first you really fear like something truly horrible is going to go up and this is going to be one of those like uh, like Max Fleischer cartoons where they just like zip off their skin and a skeleton steps out or something like that. But no, you know, apparently just always has this on for the moment when it will be dramatic to uh, remove it and step out into her sort of, you know, showgirl finery. This number after she slips out of her cat suit, um, it then goes into the sublimely weird dance number which involves... Like a bunch of cockroaches and mice, uh, all of which also have human faces, although little didn't see them up close, uh, doing like kind of Busby Berkeley choreography from, you know, overhead shots. And it's just, this is kind of the gloopy I sort of wanted the movie to be, where it's just like, if you're going to do this, like, do it. Just go all the way. Um, and I, I feel like some of the problems with it stem when it doesn't quite go uh, far enough. Okay, but before we get too into describing these individual numbers, which could literally take us weeks, let us go back to sort of the beginning of this movie and how we come into this world of cats. Um, Marissa, would you like to tell us how that happens?
1: We see a woman, but we never see her whole body. We only see parts of her, like her feet. It's a human woman step out of a car holding a squirming bag and dump a kitten into this junkyard cruelly like she tosses it and then she speeds off and that's the only suggestion that there are people in this version of london that has been constructed for the movie which is odd in that it's human size and everything is scaled but we never actually see people they're always just kind of right off screen and out of the bag emerges victoria who is the White Cat, as she's commonly referred to. And she's played in this version by Francesca Hayward, who is a professional ballet dancer.
0: She had, she gets kind of an introducing credit, which is just like, imagine this being your first movie. For the rest of her life, when someone asked Francesca Hayward how she got into the movie business, she loved to say it was Cats.
1: I feel like for theater people, this is not that weird. And in fact... A lot of the professional theatrical actors and dancers in this movie give really compelling and wonderful performances. Like we also get Robbie Fairchild as Monko Strap, who's sort of the narrator and who introduces Victoria to this world of the Jellicle cats. And he gives a great performance. And I hope that the weirdness of cats won't distract people from how wonderful he is because i saw him in american in paris on broadway and he is supremely talented
0: yeah i think that is definitely the the kind of dividing line here i mean a lot of the you know movie stars and pop music star figures who uh work their way into this thing uh embarrass themselves uh, quite dramatically, I think. Uh, But for me, I'm in the ones who really shine. I mean, For for me, like, the best performance in the movie is Ian McKellen, who he's playing kind of Gus, the the theater cat, who's this kind of, you know, aged, you know, discarded, you know, basically like a, you know, just sort of, you know, old, you know, theater, like, lingering in the wings type figure. And he just brings this incredible kind of energy to it. I feel like maybe just being so old school, he and and Judy Dench, who plays old Deuteronomy, both... I feel like they come from a, a kind of theatrical tradition where it's possible to totally commit to a role without needing to take it seriously. You know, there's all those articles about now and we, I think we're running one as well about like how, the you know, the actors kind of went to cat school and they studied cats and learned how to move like cats and everything. And it just seems like they're trying to kind of convince people that they did this whole like method thing and they were supposed to take them seriously. And Ian McKellen, she's like, what if I just like stopped in the middle of the line and like butted my head up against a post?
1: And it's funny because Judy Dench is doing almost the exact opposite where she brings this quiet, unwarranted dignity to what is otherwise a very silly show, and Ian McKellen is having a blast and just lapping liquid out of saucers and truly embodying the spirit of cats
0: yeah I mean he really just he just goes for it in a way that I find like extremely appealing
1: he also I've always found the song that Gus sings, Gus, the theater cat is short for asparagus because of course, obviously heaven forbid that yeah. cats have a normal name. His song is kind of a snooze if it's not performed right. Cause it is compared to the rest of the musical quiet and self-contained. And he really commanded the screen during it. He just took on this role of the doddering, you know, his heydays in the past old actor in a way that, it was, I was moved. I was moved by Cat Sam.
0: No, I mean, I was genuinely like, oh my God, this is like a good movie for three minutes. I mean, it is also one of the few minutes when, you know, not only the song's slow, but the movie actually kind of slows down and the camera, like, just sort of stays in one place for a little while and watches him. I mean, I was, I think we had similar experiences of seeing these two movies on the same day, but like, I saw this movie after. I saw The Rise of Skywalker in the kind of early afternoon and then spent, you know, several hours with my head submerged in that writing a review and then went right into Cats. You know, Tom Hooper, who is known, you know, previously for, you know, Les Mis and The King's Speech and John Adams and stuff like that, he has this really kind of, you know, pretty easily parodied use of canted, uh, what are called like Dutch angles. He likes to kind of, you know, set the camera on 30 degrees. Here he uses this really aggressively handheld camera style as if, you know, what cats really need is a firm grounding a documentary reality. Um, and it just, like, it hurt my eyes at first. I was just like, I, like, my body did not want to watch this movie. Mm. And I settled into a little bit that it was really just, there's no need for it, for one thing. And it actually makes a lot of the dance sequences just, like, difficult to watch. Well, also, the, well. the
1: camera's jittery. Yes. He keeps cutting in the middle of a dance sequence. And the choreographer here is Andy Blankenbuehler, who did Hamilton and Bandstand and 9 to 5. And I find his style needlessly convoluted to begin with. And when you add the quick cuts on top of that, it really does create a sense of chaos, in, especially in the crowd scenes, when they're all dancing in the group scenes. It works better, I think, when you only have two or three cats on the screen so that you actually get a sense of the space and all of their faces and their movements. But in those crowd scenes, it's just like, oh man, it's cats writhing everywhere. at LuckyLandslots.com.
0: Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Yeah, so rather than go through the plot here, I think the way to, to take this movie apart is to kind of go through, not you know through all sort of 16 numbers in it, but at least through some of the, the key ones and sort of discuss those. So let us uh, let us begin with, with The Rum Tum Tugger, uh, starring Jason Derulo.
1: So the decision to have the actors sing live Again, works for the theater people, does not work at all for Rebel Wilson, poor Rebel Wilson, and doesn't work for Jason Derulo, who I, I guess has a bit of a reputation for not being able to sing live anyway. He, on top of everything else, is using this fake British accent that is not at all convincing and seems to be drawing some of his breath control I I don't know. you You
0: really get a sense in this movie, like, you know, which of these actors can, like, make it through a line without having to gasp for breath.
1: This is the part of the movie where I was genuinely worried about where we were going because we got the Rebel Wilson number that was pretty shaky, cockroaches notwithstanding. And then the rum tum tugger is one of my favorite songs from Cats. And Rebel Wilson kept interrupting with lines of dialogue. Cats the musical is sung through, so all of the dialogue in this movie was added by the filmmakers. And to do it right in the middle of a song, come on, man, that's just that's just rude to Cats.
0: Right. I mean, they're trying to add some kind of you know plot and character elements. So in this case, um, Jenny Annie Dots, I guess, is worried about being kind of shown up by Rum Tum Tugger. So he keeps doing this kind of you know fancy dance number that's sort of funked up, but very kind of clangorous and a weirdly, like, tuneless version of the song, but it keeps kind of cutting back to her being like, you know, I could do that. You could do that with a look. There's actually no reason to, like, have her just jump in with a line and there disrupt the song.
1: Yeah, and the version of Rum Tum Tugger that's in this movie is kind of a minor character compared to the original show, where Rum Tum Tugger, you know, he gets his own song and he also sings Mr. Mistopheles. In this version, Jason Derulo's been a little bit sidelined, which, given how his song went, I'm maybe not so disappointed about, but I am sorry to see the character suffer for it.
0: Right, and it's probably just a consequence of casting all these, you know, sort of movie stars and pop stars in this movie and and getting all their schedules together, but... You know, Catch the Show is like a big sort of ensemble thing. It's sort of, it's a review where, you know, one character after another gets their show, but there's also just, you know, a lot of sort of company. I mean, it's a very, like, dance-driven show, which you really don't get in the movie at all. Um, And because, you know, Taylor Swift is not going to show up on a movie set for four months just so she can be in the background of a bunch of shots, um, you really just lose track of, like, who all these characters are and what their relationships are supposed to be all the time. Like, it's just you feel like you're watching one or two characters and then a bunch of extras in, you know, digital fur costumes, but it's really, it's, like, hard to keep track of, like, who they are or what they're supposed to be doing.
1: The other disappointing aspect of this is that in the 1998 version that they filmed, Rum Tum Tugger is played by John Partridge with this electric, David Bowie-esque, you know, bisexual energy. And a lot of people over the years have shipped... Rum Tum Tugger with Mr. Mistopheles because Rum Tum Tugger later sings his song. And in this version, not only is Tugger relatively minor character, but Mr. Mistopheles gets a love interest, a female love interest. That was an odd choice
0: to me. Right. I mean, they have really like kind of de-queered the show in, like, a whole lot of ways. I mean, I sort of joked about it being, like, re reappropriating camp on behalf of, like, tone-deaf heterosexuals. Um, so, you know, it's like, we're stealing it back. It's like our Helter Skelter moment. Um, but, yeah, but it's really, it's just...
1: And yet, I feel in my bones that Skimble Shanks, with his mustache and his shirtless overalls and his just incredible tap-dancing moves is, in a way,
0: a gay icon. Skimbleshank's The Railway Cat? Skimbleshank's The Railway Cat. Oh, the cat of the railway train.
1: <laughs> That's all I have to say
0: about Skimbleshanks. All right, for Jones. for Jones, played oh by James Corden. Oh, boy. Break <laughs> continue.
1: It, I mean, there are two actors in this movie whose roles are like 90% fat jokes. And for Jones, his whole song is about how he's a fat cat. From, you know, the St. James's street cat. He's like this aristocratic guy. I, I just, James Corden is an acquired taste. He's a good singer. So coming right after Rebel Wilson and Jason Derulo as he does, he at least has the pipes for this. But he's wearing a fat suit. Rebel Wilson's wearing a sort of a fat suit. They're both actors who sometimes fall into these roles. I mean, he got his start, James Corden, on Fat Friends, the ITV british drama i don't know it just was it's so lazy in 2019 as much as it's built into the show to begin with he stops in the middle of the song for an extended bit about how they can't launch him on a seesaw because he's so fat i don't know was anyone really having fun
0: yeah i mean it's been very sort of exciting in a a lot of ways to see the resurgence of musical Hollywood movies in the last, you know, 20 years, probably, you know, beginning with uh, maybe Chicago. But I I really feel like, you know, some of the legacy is in the wrong hands now. Like there's way too much, you know, Pasek and Paul. I don't get why Tom Hooper and Rob Marshall get to keep making these movies. Why does James Corden get to do both Into the Woods and this? Like we are just putting our money on the wrong horses.
1: Yeah, I also feel, so part of the, explanation in this movie for having all of these side characters beyond just that you know that that's what the show is is that the competition to see who gets to go to the heavy side layer is being sabotaged by McCavity, who is played by idris elba McCavity. uh who who really you know he mugs and gets into it he in the original stage show his big moment is that he makes old deuteronomy disappear at a pivotal moment but in this version he's actually disappearing all of the other contestants because he wants to go to the heavy side layer which is it adds a little bit of suspense to something that's otherwise just a, a review basically so I can understand why they wanted to have Jenny Annie Dutts and Rum Tum Tugger and for Jones and sort of get them out of the way early. So we can see each of them be kidnapped away to this barge on the Thames.
0: And again, it's also like, now we don't have to pay Rebel Wilson for three months. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, that that may have been one of the other motivations. But once they're out of the way, we get the theatrical actors really getting to show off and do their thing. Yes.
0: Who better to discuss with regard to the life of the theater than Taylor Swift?
1: Well, we're not in her quite yet. Okay. We have, well, there's a whole series of songs. There's Mungo Jerry and Rumple Teaser. Mm-hmm. And we get this fantastical set piece where they lead Victoria into a human house and they're playing around and making mischief, which is their whole thing. And they're playing with the jewels of the lady of the house. And here is where all sense of scale is just thrown out the window. Because the cats are supposed to be normal cat size and that comes through when they're on the street, for example, or when they're dancing in a bar that for some reason only serves milk because the humans who live in this version of London knew that the cats at night, I guess, would go dance there and they planned accordingly. But when they go in this house, like, the pearls are oversized, one of the cats is wearing the ring as a bracelet, they just decided to go with what's fun instead of what makes sense and I'm here for that.
0: At some point they're dancing in, I I don't know if it's Trafalgar Square, or Soho, or whatever. The cats are dancing in this sort of, you know, downtown London, and there's all these ads for like Piper, Heidsick, Champagne, uh, which gets another product placement later, um, and like the I can't remember, like you know, the the fiendish claws Inn or something. Like, like mm-hmm. all the all the signs are kind of overdone in like cat puns. It's not like the thing where you like go through the mouse hole and there's a secret like mouse town in there or something, it's just, it's purely fanciful, it's not meant to be some secret world that they actually inhabit, and I don't, I mean, you're watching a movie about singing cats, like, I don't really think that, you know, going after plausibility is your best, uh, the best use of your time.
1: No, and that stuff's at least fun. I actually really enjoyed that element of this fantastical London, more than some of Hall and Hooper's other editions, which is that the dialogue is made up of, I hesitate to call them jokes. (laughs) But every now and then someone will say something like, cat got your tongue, or don't mess with the crazy cat lady. Yeah,
0: or don't look what the cat dragged in.
1: They're not puns, really. They're just expressions that, they have the word cat in them, and that's why they're coming (laughs) up.
0: What higher form of humor is there than using cliches about cats in a movie about cats? I mean, that's...
1: But there was so much potential for puns. There's so much fodder. And they went with, cat got your tongue. It's a little disappointing. If ever there were a time to break out your worst cat puns, this was it.
0: Yes. I mean, to quote, Escalus did not invent the theater to have it end (laughs) up a bunch of chorus kids in cat suits prancing around wondering which of them will go to kitty cat heaven.
1: But if you're going to make a show with that premise, you should take full advantage.
0: Yes. And for a penny and for a pound. I mean, one of my... Issues with this is I feel like my ideal version of this movie is directed by Baz Luhrmann mm. because I feel like this material requires like a true vulgarian, and I think Tom Hooper is just like a little too repressed to really kind of get into the stuff that like you really just need to like get it up to your elbows.
1: I was thinking more like Darren Aronofsky and really go whole hog, <laughs> like make it like as dark Swan as possible. Of, yeah. yeah,
0: all right, sure, why not? We could also do that. Like restraint is just not a word that should be within, like, a thousand yards of cats. But
1: I don't think this movie is restrained. I just think it's so utterly lacking in taste that it really nails cats in a way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It gets to the essential mediocrity of the source text.
1: As much as it does dip into these moments of seriousness, and again, after we get past that triple threat of Wilson, Derulo, Corden... The theater actors get to... We get to see some real dancing. And we also get Judy Dench's entrance as Old Deuteronomy, which is traditionally played by a man in Cats the musical, which is kind of a little bit... It's funny because Starlight Express is the other just absolutely awful but kind of a little bit beloved by a certain following uh, musical where a role was gender-flipped uh, along the lines. So... from a man to a woman and I couldn't help but think about that like it put starlight express in my head which kind of ruined judy dench's wonderful warm matriarchal entrance where then they sort of back up and you see that she's tiny like a cat even though she's walking on two legs
0: can we get judy dench on roller skates at some point though do you think that's (laughs) something that we can make happen
1: that's one of the only things that would have improved I think this performance
0: all right now we need to talk about taylor swift That is the reason, the sole reason why I am going to be seeing this movie again. Because my daughter has, like I I said, you really want to see Cats? And she said, duh. Dad, Taylor Swift is in it. Duh.
1: Well, first of all, Taylor Swift's whole thing is that she loves cats. She has her own two beloved cats. Small sea cats, yes. And this was a perfect fit for her. And in fact, she wrote a song for the movie called Beautiful Ghosts, which she does not actually sing in the movie. It's sung by Francesca Hayward, who... I have to say, for someone who presumably was cast for her dancing abilities, has a strong, sweet voice. Like, she pulled it off pretty well. Yeah, I
0: don't. Th- I think the song is not very good. Actually, it somehow doesn't sound like either a Taylor Swift song or an Andrew Lloyd Webber song.
1: It also comes directly in response to Memory, which is the one song from Cats that everyone knows. And is, you know, the first time it's sung sort of quiet and sad, and the second time has the big belting you know, desperate ballad. And both times it doesn't need a response. Memory needs no response, yes.
0: it speaks for itself. and what is going on with with Grizabella, the Glamour cat, played by Jennifer Hudson in this movie, who's basically kind of being uh, like, slut- shamed out of the cat pack or what's what's going on there?
1: that's that's Canon. That's what happens in cats. Grizabella. she was once beautiful and sociable. And in this case, I think they pretty explicitly, Say that she fell in with McCavity. I think they
0: say like she went with McCavity or something like that, which which has like that double entendre of like she's been despoiled or something.
1: And, and McCavity, we see, is like a catnip pusher. <laughs> He's not just a king of crime. He's got like a bunch of different enterprises going on. He's diversified. Uh, yeah, she's she's an outcast in a way that the other cats that have fallen in with McCavity don't seem to be. It's very unfair. Poor
0: Isabella. Yes. Memory, I think, is sung like four times in this movie or something. It keeps coming back and back. And every time Jennifer Hudson is sort of crying more, the camera seems like it's closer in her face. There's like a bigger river of snot flowing out of her nose. I mean, this is, I mean, you often see a movie and feel like, you know, the actor is going for an Oscar. I feel like she's specifically going for the Oscar that Anne Hathaway won for Les Miserables And mm. this. Like, she's just like, no, I'm going to do the thing that you did. But better with the same directors, like, shove the camera into my face. I'm gonna like spray fluids all over the place, and you're gonna give me an award.
1: This is not as meaty a role as the one that Anne Hathaway won for, because mostly her entire role is just singing the song and then also peering around corners only to be chased away. I think she is as good as you'd expect her to be. She's a great singer. There's maybe a little more vibrato in her voice than you would want from memory she is pretty much crying throughout the whole thing other than like the big you know touch me moment and so I, I could see that shakiness being a little off-putting but that that's also what you get when you're doing the live song songs she's acting
0: right and she, I mean and I think there's actually you know somewhat more of a I haven't like Listen to the soundtrack since that horrible experience a few years ago, but I mean, I grew up with, like, Memory was, I mean, the show was such a smash that, like, Memory was a big, like, pop radio Mm -hmm. hit. Like, you would just hear it everywhere, all the time. Um, And I feel like Jennifer Hudson's version at least has a little bit more of a dramatic arc to it. Like, the kind of, the original cast recording version is just, like, belted, like, the whole way through, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of, this has a little bit more kind of build to it. Emotional oomph. Yes. So, I have to discuss the the in the room.
1: When I found out that Taylor Swift had been cast as Bombalurena, I was concerned <laughs> because she's kind of this sultry character. She sings. She introduces McCavity in song. Taylor Swift is. It, she's just not known for her dancing. She has this famously gawky dancing style. That I, I have to say, I was worried. I was worried, Sam, going in. I think she pulled it off amazingly. Of all the famous faces in the movie, notwithstanding Judy Dench and Ian McKellen, who are both also talented theater
0: actors. Although th- do not have to dance.
1: The, right. Who also don't have to dance. I think she stood out as being the best. But she's also barely in the movie. She gets her song and then she's kind of... Out right. the door.
0: I mean, I think she actually just literally disappears from it for with no explanation. Like she sings her McCavity song. Um, then she's kind of magicked away by McCavity to his barge on the Thames where he is keeping these cats hostage. There's sort of an uprising there. He says, Come with me. They poof go away in like a little flash of glitter. And then the next time you see McCavity, he's like up on the roof of the building, like jumping onto Jennifer Hudson's balloon, and you just never see Taylor Swift again. Like Bombalerina just got uh, is she like uh, there was some sort of teleportation accident or something and she's stuck between dimensions like we have no idea what happened to her
1: but I think that's exactly the amount that I needed really yeah. as much as I kept waiting for her to be on screen once she was on screen I was like well done go on your way
0: I am a, a Taylor Swift fan a, of long standing I do not think like her kind of Attempt to put on like vampy personas is like her most successful uh, strategy. And that's sort of what she's trying to do with Mama Larina here. But she has this real kind of try hard school play energy, which somehow seems exactly right for cats. I didn't come out of it being like, wow, Taylor Swift's like a really good dancer. She dances exactly like Taylor Swift already always dances all the time, except she's not. Usually she likes to surround herself with like 18 other really talented dancers so that you don't quite notice that the person at the head of the phalanx isn't quite keeping up. And she's got like maybe two behind her in this, but uh, but she's fine. She's obviously got her, you know, star charisma and stuff like that. And as you say, I mean, she's probably in generously 10 minutes of this movie.
1: I think that's definitely being generous. We just talked around a pivotal moment in the movie that occurs during her song, which is that Idris Elba removes his coat to reveal his cat body underneath, which is, of, of the men, I think the most form-fitting leotard, fursuit, whatever you want to call it. And it is quite a moment.
0: He's got, I mean, at least pecs, if not abs. I'm really...
1: He's a Ken doll. Yeah. He's a Ken doll with fur. Yeah, I'm forever changed by this moment in the Cats movie. Because up until that moment, you could kind of get used to seeing everyone as cats just because there were so many of them on screen. Their tails are a little distracting because their tails are purely CGI and they seem to occasionally be moving independent of the actors, which they are because they're computer generated. Right. But the choreography, I don't know. I, it, I can't think of what else they could have done. They could have had prop tails that were just dangling behind them. They could have had puppeteers, I guess, but can you imagine it would have been two puppeteers per actor, the cost alone. Instead, they're CGI... And they just draw the eye. Sometimes in the choreography, they're all moving their tails at the same time. Sometimes their tails are moving independent of the body. It's a lot. With Idris Elba, I was not looking at his tail. I was looking at his. <laughs> I appreciate his your body. honesty. Yes, <laughs>
0: yes, fair enough. I mean, I, I was too, just in a sort of end of Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's truly, it's truly distressing. Um, so yeah, so we're we're building up to this whole big moment, the whole crux of this thing is, you know, who is old Deuteronomy going to choose to go to the heavyside lair? Macavity thinks that he has removed all the competition and therefore she will have no choice but to choose him. What an
1: ill-conceived plan. Yeah. He's so convinced at the end. He's like, it's going to be me. And it's a little bit sad
0: because- There's still like 40 cats around for one thing. Like, why does it have to be him?
1: Right. I think this movie in that way, though, is much more explicit about these are the contestants- as opposed to, oh, it could be anyone. And in fact for a little while I thought maybe it would be Victoria who has been thrown into this new world and old Deuteronomy keeps giving her meaningful looks. It doesn't actually happen. But when McCavity is like you know, he just finished his number and he's still breathing heavily and he's like, So I get to go, right? And old Deuteronomy says, Never He looks devastated. I actually felt bad for McCavity in this version.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, but, you know, it has to be Jennifer Hudson, who at the age of 38 is completely worn out and <laughs> devoid yeah. of life and just washed up and has no other choice but to be reborn into a new life.
1: She has the only good motivation. We've skipped over Skimble Shanks.
0: We have skipped over Simble Shanks. We like to discuss Skimbleshanks. Who Kimble has Shanks.
1: the best ensemble. And if people don't dress as him next Halloween, it will be such a waste. But it was actually one of my favorite sequences in the entire movie because he's a tap dancer. It's Stephen McRae playing Skimbleshanks. Uh, another example of the maybe less famous cast, Shining. Mm-hmm. And there's this great scene where the cats are tap dancing down a railway track next to the Thames. Mm. And it is so joyful. This is exactly what cats should be. This song that has no bearing on the plot whatsoever with this throwaway character that they managed to turn into something, like, big and spectacular.
0: Who, again, also just shows up for five minutes and then goes away. Right. He's wearing this sort of, it's like a romper. or something like, In, like, bright red. One. He's the only character with, like, this, like, pop of color on him. Everyone else is kind of in these earth tones and stuff, which gets very samey.
1: It's, like, it's not what an actual railway conductor would wear. It's, like, the sexy version that you would wear if you were dressing as a railway conductor. The
0: sexy cat... Railway conductor. Um I'm I'm sure that there's there are numerous websites devoted to that <laughs> already. And if not, there certainly will be.
1: Yes. Good on this movie for putting so much attention on Mr. Mistoffeles, giving him a personality. He's sort of shy and he's this wannabe magician contrasted with McCavity, who's the only other cat we see have magic abilities. It's never explained why these two cats are the only ones who do magic but he's more of a cheesy sideshow magician as opposed to McCavity, who has like actual magic we've seen him make people disappear but victoria our lovely little victoria believes in him and so when old deuteronomy disappears she's the one who says oh mr Mistopheles can help us and the song "Mr. Mustafali's," which I, I mentioned before, is usually sung by Rum Tum Tugger. In this case, is sung by First Monkey Strap, who's our narrator. Who, although I don't think his name is ever said in the movie. No, I,
0: I did not know. There's like, no reason yeah. you
1: should know that that's his name.
0: I, I did not know this. In fact,
1: I don't know how I know that, except perhaps reading the cat's Wikipedia page. Um, he, starts off, <laughs> he starts the song off. Journalist,
0: you did your research.
1: He starts the song off. Victoria joins in, and the whole company joins in, and Mr. Mistoffelees himself is singing about his accomplishments in this timid way that suggests he does not actually believe in himself, and there are several false starts where you would expect Old Deuteronomy to appear having been summoned by Mr. Mistoffelees, but it doesn't happen, and then Judy Dench sings the final version of the chorus having been successfully summoned from the background, it was just a really smart take on the song, because in the musical a little bit, it's like, old Deuteronomy is gone. Who can save us? Mr. Mistoffelees can. Watch him leap about the stage. And in this case, it really was the emotional crux of the movie, as opposed to memory, which is quite an accomplishment to pull off.
0: So we finally reached the big moment of decision here, the jellical choice. Um, what is a jellicle, by the way, before we get to that?
1: This movie... Takes the radical step of actually saying what a jellicle is and making it like a thing within the show of what's a jellicle. I mean, there's a song that's in the original show where they like roast a member of the audience for not knowing what a jellicle cat is, which is not in this version. But Victoria, who is a cat, doesn't know if she's a jellicle cat or what a jellicle cat is. And it's sort of the running theme of the movie is like, does she belong? Is she one of these Jellicle cats?
0: Well, this is, as Tom Hooper explained at the movie's premiere, uh, a movie about the perils of tribalism.
1: Sure. If Tom Hooper says so, who am I to dispute that? Uh, they never really seem to be, like, keeping her out. They're pretty welcoming of this random kitten that got thrown into their jungle. Very, v-
0: way more welcoming than actual cats.
1: <laughs> right, right, exactly. I've never seen cats. It's hurting cats, as they say. So I don't know about... Whether this is about the dangers of tribalism, but it is very much about what makes a Jellicle cat a Jellicle cat. And the song Jellical Cats explains it by saying, oh, you know, Jellicle cats are blind when they're born, and they can see in the dark, and they look at a king. And it's pretty much a descriptor of any cat, like physical attributes, but also just legends about cats. And there's no satisfying answer. And this movie actually has Judy Dench herself deliver the verdict a Jellicle cat is a dear little cat. That's it. That's the whole explanation.
0: That, well, that explains it then. It's so just that,
1: like a cat that, that she likes, I guess. Yeah.
0: So the Jellicles have come to the Jellicle ball. And now it is time for the jellical choice. And the Jellicle choice is...
1: Grisabella.
0: Grisabella, the slutty glamour cat.
1: She gets to be born into a new life, which, you know, makes sense, right? Because the other cats, I think they ex- explicitly say that Buster Jones wants to be born into, like, a skinnier body. Yeah, that's, that's not a good reason to go to cat heaven. That is,
0: that is a shitty use of a, another life, if you just, like, take off a few pounds.
1: Yeah, she ascends into... See, most productions have her ascend in either this chandelier or, like, a UFO. This version takes advantage of not being physically in a theater, and she's in this beautiful balloon that goes up into the sky and ascends into the clouds with Mccavity sort of clawing his way, trying to get in.
0: It's the weirdest ending to him because the movie seems like totally have forgotten about him for like 20 minutes. And then he's just like up on the roof, kind of tries to grab onto the balloon, falls off, lands on top of what I think is Admiral Nelson's hat in Trafalgar Square, although don't quote me on that. Um, And then just like, oh no, I'm on top of this statue. And then that's like the last we see of him, which is a very... um, Unsatisfying end for the movies' <laughs> primary villain. That's cats. Yes, cats is cats.
1: Cats will always be cats,
0: and ever will be. All right. So I think this brings us more or less to the, the close of our discussion about cats. But I, I want to ask you, as someone who is is uh, rather frighteningly knowledgeable about cats, um, a cat's fan, if you will, um, what? How did the movie change your feelings about cats, if at all?
1: I'd like to correct uh, some slander that just took place. I don't know that I'd call myself a cats fan. I would call myself a cats defender. It's certainly very fun to rag on cats, which we just did for an extended period of time. But I also think it's fine that it's silly and joyful and takes itself way too seriously. And in fact that might be what makes it great. And I think in terms of that for all its many many flaws, the movie it gets it. It gets cats. And that's really all you can ask. All I want from a movie version of Cats is Ian McKellen licking himself. And I got it.
0: Wow. Well, congratulations <laughs> to you.
1: Now uh, I can ascend happily yes. into the heavy side layer.
0: I, I came into this as a cat person. I remain a cat person. But I feel like the only word for this movie is woof. Excellent. Yes. That's our show. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler special podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our audio engineer is Daniel Schroeder. Our producer is Rosemary Belson. For Marissa Martinelli, I'm Sam Adams. Thank you for listening.